Hello guys and welcome to the Spin the Wheel Doctor Who podcast. This is episode 6 or 7, I have no idea anymore. Uh, today I have two very special guests with me. I have George Papart and Joe Decon. How are you guys? Well, thanks. Thanks for having us on. No worries. Now, George, we kind of, quote-unquote, met in very weird circumstances compared to other guests on here where I've just met on Twitter. We met on Letterboxd, interestingly, when I just come across one of your reviews. It's such a very yeah. way to kind of find each other. But, um, yeah, uh, what's the mo- last movie you logged out of interest? I'm, I'm really curious. Oh, man, it could have been Bo Burnham's, you know, Inside. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've never seen that. Really? No, I, I I'm I'm kind of obsessed with it at the moment. Okay, I've, uh, I'm, yeah, I've watched it three times. Oh wow! <laughs> in the past week, which is probably a bit too much, but uh, nah, yeah. it's never too much for a movie. I I've watched about Captain Phillips about ten times, so that goes to show. Uh, but yeah, Joe, you're you're George's mate in real life. Um, I understand. Yes. Is that true? Yeah. Yes, that's true. Sweet. Yeah. So yeah, uh, George just recommended you, and then you were on separate episodes originally, and then I thought, nah, let's merge it together for a bit of fun. Why not? Uh, so yeah, the wheel spun, and it landed on. Well, it actually landed on countryside. The uh, the torture episode, <laughs> which wasn't actually yeah. one of yeah. my picks. It was one of yours, and then you guys yeah, said, no, I don't want. Um, <laughs> no, no, yeah. I, I just want to say I'm very sorry. Uh, sorry if like that caused any like confusion. It's just that like me, me and George with Torchwood, we're not like um like that kind of knowledgeable about the whole thing like George you've only seen like the first se- series of Tortured Evan you've seen yeah, more but it's like but yeah like, with Doctor yeah. Who we're so much more kind of well versed in the whole thing with Torchwood we're kind of like a bit more like a yeah so, so sorry about there's any kind of confusion about that <laughs> no it's, it's fine uh, I, I argue both episodes are as good as each other like we respun the wheel and it landed on the mind robber yeah but, yeah I, I'm so thank well I'm really surprised you like actually no I'm not surprised you didn't watch past series 1 of Torture because series 1 of Torture is not good compared to series 2 or 3 oh yeah, yeah. Like, to, me, to, to me Torture <laughs> yeah to me Torture is like Children of Earth is like that's the that's where the great stuff is at yeah. and most of everything else is kind of a, is very inconsistent mm. I really like series 2 but series 1 is a stinky series but yeah, this isn't torture. This is the mind rubber. Um, so general thoughts on this episode going into it, like, uh, presumably you've seen it before, and this is just like a rewatch for you guys. So yeah, what was your yeah. thoughts going into the episode, well, the serial before the rewatch? Well, I I remember really liking it, like uh, especially the the first episode. Mm. I, I I would go as far to say that it's probably my favorite episode of Doctor Who ever. The first episode. Oh wow, okay. Um, yeah but yeah and the others they're fine i remember them being fine but yeah i just it gets worse as it goes on for me okay yeah yeah i, I kind of echo, echo your thoughts george like i remember i remember when um because it's the second time i've seen it i saw it um first about a year ago and i remember seeing the first episode and i'm like, really loving it because mm. i just because it was so strange and like mm, and yeah. there's so much tension just in that first episode and like and i remember i, I don't want to say like it gets worse as it goes along implying that episode five was bad because i do think the story as a whole is very strong yeah but i do agree that episode one is like great episode one is, is like really 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 great but mm-hmm. and kind of once you get into yeah. episode two once you really get into what's happening it's not as interesting because the first episode there's so much tension there which kind of goes a bit as the story progresses you see i'm just going to be an outlier straight away and say the part <laughs> one's the weakest one out of all five 
I don't really? Know. Yeah. <laughs> I think part two, part four, and part five are all excellent, and then part one's a bit average, and then part three's just good. So yeah, um, that I can just go into my first note here. I said part one was alright, but didn't capture me as a viewer as well as the other parts did. The Mercury Vapor part and the stuff in the void was very good, but other than that, some interesting concepts that were implied to be revisited later are not good enough to make an episode on its own good, if that makes sense. Like yes, there were yeah. some really interesting stuff, but those were going to be revisited later. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. Like that, that, that first episode wasn't really meant to exist. I don't know if you know about mm. this, but like the story before the Dominators was meant to be six parts. Yeah, but like um, but they had there were scheduling issues. So it had to be five, which means there was a gap in the schedule. So like episodes two to five of the Mind Robot already existed. Yeah, and they and the script editor had to quickly write episode one to like fill in the slot so yeah. like yeah that episode that episode almost didn't exist and to me i'm glad it does because it's to me it's, it's the high point of the story but obviously obviously for you it's the opposite yeah. so that's interesting i mean you can definitely tell it's a bit um well hasn't been padded enough because of all the run times the run times are really short and i actually read yeah like half hour strange that part <laughs> five is the shortest episode of doctor who ever and really? i think that kind of shows because i do think the story at the end is a little bit rushed of course, every part yeah. got increasingly shorter, but you could definitely tell in part five when they resorted to bashing buttons to destroy everything. I think that could have been yeah. far, yeah. far better. Episode five, yeah, like, episode five to me is the weakest, because to me, like, if if I, like, with, with all the, because it's such a strange story, so much strange things happened, and to me, I think the writers kind of struggled with, like, how to end it mm. a little bit, because it's, it's just so bizarre, the things that happen. But, yeah. like, uh, it's definitely not bad end point in fact i think overall it's a very strong story but to, yeah. but i do agree with george a lot where kind of each episode kind of gets a little bit weaker um yeah hmm. I, I don't well of course i do disagree but i i know i'm an outlier here just because i know from the reaction on imdb and the reviews on there that uh, each part does get increasingly worse score so it goes from like an 8.5 down to like a 7.9 by the end so I can definitely it's not much of a jump but you know if if that's your general consensus then I guess I'm the outlier but I do think once you actually get into the meat of the story and I did message you guys yesterday saying it's a very meaty story so there is quite a lot to talk about and because it to me at least it feels very much like a Moffat era story uh, which is why I like it it's just like the complex yeah. themes of it and has that kind of like fantasy kind of like fairy tale sort of aspect yeah, of it. Like night terrors or something. Yeah. Reminded of yeah, like the doll of, and, yeah. and the toy house. Yeah. yeah, and I think those elements actually were really successful because I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really like the white robots um, just as a villain. But I did like the, the ones, the toy soldiers with the key in the back. I think that would definitely yeah. fit the theme of like fantasy really well. Definitely, yeah. The white, the white soldiers really stuck out, you know? It's like you got toy soldiers why not just use them yeah yeah, yeah it, it, seemed, like, it seemed really weird to have like two different villains that played very similar roles you know and the toy soldiers just like look better I think like as you can tell the white robots the effects aren't the best with them but I think the toy soldiers just look yeah the toy soldiers just look so much better so I think yeah I agree that I think they would have been a better kind of um, they're better than the white robots yeah if I can go to Tyler's team now I really enjoyed the character of Jimmy McCrimmon he's one of my favourite companions of the classic era and I guess the show overall what do you guys think of Jamie? I love Jamie he's I love Jamie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Everyone loves Jamie. Yeah, Fraser Hines' delivery of the lines was superb. And Hamish Wilson, of course, joined the episode in episode two as Hines recovered from chickenpox. And I think he did a really yeah. solid job. That's- that's such a genius way to get around that issue because um for, yeah because of Fraser Hines had uh chicken pox and like he was he couldn't be in an episode and so, that's such a genius way to just like get rid of his face and have the doctor replace really, it yeah. and yeah do it wrong like it's only, yeah. only only this episode you can do that like there's no other episode you can get away with that and I really like how the doctor made a couple of jokes about Jamie Snows <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I do think it was a strike of luck. Like, sorry, Heinz, I know it was bad that you were ill, but I do really think it added to the story and Charlton's interactions throughout these entire scenes were gold. And I think, um, talking about Charlton, I can't say I was a massive fan of him when he was in despair and struggling to stop, uh, stop his companions from exiting the TARDIS and just generally being in despair. But I preferred him in the scenes where he was more authoritative and made deductions, for example, in episode two, where he had to find out the words um, using the clues. Like he go, went around and he saw the padlock and stuff like that. I just thought that was fantastic. Hmm. Like, yeah, the, I'm yeah. the whole story is just him sort of solving problems, and it, it, it is, he really shines, I think, in this story. Like, it's one of his best ones. Yeah. yeah, I get what you were saying about him sort of moaning, like, oh, don't go out into the void or whatever, and then they just walk out. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. yeah. That's kind like, of trying to that's kind of trying all over though like him yeah the mm. bumbly kind of idiot but then like suddenly he'll just switch and he's this authoritative kind of like really intelligent kind of figure yeah it's like in tomb of the mm. cybermen i rewatched that one about a week ago and like he doesn't he's in the background for a lot of it because the side cast is so vast like there's so many side cast members that like the doctor couldn't breathe so much so to speak but then when he did when he was actually given some lines to deliver I think Trout was fantastic and it's not a dig at the actor it's more so like his inclusion in the story like how he's written into it like Trout a fantastic actor I think he's probably top five actors to have ever played the Doctor if not top three yeah, I agree but um, yeah. it's just when he's not given much to do like in Tomb of the Cybermen and in parts of this one it's like okay he's he's playing this character that I don't particularly like but then when he's actually the doctor and making deductions I I love personally yeah I, yeah, I agree with you saying so yeah, Trans for me is definitely like in the top five I just like he's always such so entertaining to watch and like, particularly yeah. Trans at this point where he's super comfortable with the role because if you go back and watch like Power of the Daleks for example mm-hmm. you can tell that he's not found his feet yet but by this point Trans just like he's just slips, in, slips into the role so effortlessly yeah and yeah and him and Jamie like oh just great so great like probably my top three TARDIS teams him and Jamie I yes. like Zoe as well but yeah Jamie yeah, so it's always a good addition, but it's really kind of Sean and Jamie. That's really kind of where the vet's dynamic is at. Yeah, but the, talking about Zoe, I feel like she was only, uh, she was actually given more screaming lines than actual lines of dialogue <laughs> in this episode, especially in the first few parts. She just screams yeah. for no reason. That, that's a problem with the loss of kind of like classic companions, particularly from that classic female companions, particularly from that era, because all of them were just kind of there to scream it's really it's really yeah, unfortunate well, but like, i do i do think zoe is on the better end just of screaming companions but it yeah. can get a bit obnoxious a lot of the time yeah. particularly like the cliffhanger to episode one just like so loud yeah talking about part one that's actually going to be the uh screen cap that uh, promotes this video just because it is very clickbait if you guys yeah the definitely part. yeah I, I don't know why they did that camera angle just so low it's like what were they trying to get across <laughs> except from that image like why 
Uh, yeah, but the whole screaming thing was a bit of a turn-off. Not erotically, but, you know, as a character. <laughs> uh, I do like the scene in the caves where she mentions the equation that dictates the route they should go down. I think that was episode three, perhaps. Yeah, she does the equation, and I think that was really clever. But I was thinking to myself, would she know that? I mean, the doctor doesn't, but she would. Like, I was a bit confused at this point. Well, I, I think mean, they're trying Zoe to too hard. Like, Zoe's often quite well. Sometimes she's more intelligent than, than the doctor, and I'm, I like that. You know, yeah. I like the doctor not always being the smartest person in the room. So it yeah. kind of gets boring sometimes. Well, like, speaking of Zoe, like to me that scene in episode I think it's episode 4 with, with um, was it the carcass that, that to me yeah. that's the hilar- most hilarious scene in the whole story yeah. <laughs> where they kind of build up they build up this kind of like character as like with superhuman strength and he's going to like rip the doctor's arms off or something and she just like beats him no issue and it's like that's like yeah, the most hilarious scene in the whole story and, yeah. oh I love that so much. it's like li- this little girl is like beating up this whole it's yeah. like giant super it's so super bad that it's just fantastic yeah yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there's those little moments in each episode that just makes it worthwhile. Because um, to get back to your original point, that like it gets worse as it goes on. I would still maintain there's at least one scene in or several scenes in each episode that just makes it worthwhile, even if some bits weren't as good as the others. There's moments like that, oh, uh, whereas there was just chokeholding this guy who's shouting mercy, and I think that just makes that part of the episode worthwhile because it's just so. It yeah. is it's so good, but the episode itself may not be the best around it, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, like, throughout, in every in every episode throughout, there are memorable and, like, great moments. Like, it's never, to me, the story is never bad. It's just, like, it just, once you get past, like, the, the TARDIS kind of exploding, to me, there's nothing as worthwhile as that first part. Yeah. But, like, it's, mm. yeah. But throughout, it's I mean, very enjoyable. And that is like one of my favourite moments in Doctor Who is the TARDIS exploding and they're just spinning. Yeah, it's, 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 it's one of my favourite. It's one of my favourite cliffhangers in like definitely the classic series. Just like it's such a great shot of this TARDIS completely exploding and all that. Yeah, that would be absolutely the best cliffhanger from the serial because I think the other cliffhangers aren't on the best. I I would say that's definitely a mm. very good cliffhanger. But then all the others are a bit naff. Like at one of them, you have a unicorn mm. running, and you just have close-ups of the unicorn yeah. as opposed to coming back to the reactions. It's like that's so stupid to me. Yeah, a lot of the time, classic series kind of like cliffhangers are feel quite forced because like oh they're only there because so we can have a cliffhanger to keep the audience you know waiting for the next one but like but yeah i do agree definitely a lot of them particularly like episodes two and three's cliffhangers just kind of feel like they're they're just there for the sake of the cliffhanger when like episode one that is generally a great cliffhanger yeah and i do like how the resolution of the episodes like in the power of three you have people having heart attacks and then you have the heart attack people like resurrecting and just standing up which is a bit stupid but the thing is with this story you have the TARDIS exploding and then in the final part you have the TARDIS coming back together and I think that actually really works it's like okay the the whole reality it kind of feels like again a a Moffat era story journey to the center of the TARDIS it feels very Mm. cop out kind of like everything goes back to normal stuff like that but in this case I do think it works Um, whereas in other cases in modern Who it just doesn't because it's like it's the benefits of being in classic Who like there's five parts to flesh everything out whereas in modern who you only have 45 minutes so naturally rush uh rush closes to episodes 
are more unforgivable because you have to get that perfect otherwise it just makes the whole episode feel a bit naff but because we had so much time to explore the stuff and actually have a a bond with the TARDIS coming back like we want the TARDIS to come back we want like in the final part I was yeah. just thinking we have time to miss it yeah I was just thinking in the final part like you have 18 minutes in this story where where are we going to go because it was it felt so at least i felt so doomed for the doctor the doctor was like in a really bad situation and i thought how is he going to get out of this one and then of course the resolution and stuff like that but yeah i, I love this story I, I love it i love how it wraps yeah. up i love everything about yeah because i don't know if you know about like i think there's a theory that um because the next story the invasion in like once the TARDIS gets us together in the beginning of that story, like you kind of see the Doctor sitting in a chair in a similar position he was in episode one of the Mind Robber. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of a theory that the, the events of the whole story was a dream. Mm. Which, like, obviously, wow. when you hear when you hear that, like, yeah, you never kind of want it to be the story you watch to be a dream. But it definitely makes sense with this one because it's so kind of like weird and sort of just like, it's so much yeah. base. Yeah, so much base was a fantasy. Like, I, I buy that it could be a dream yeah i think that definitely makes sense i'm thinking of that scene now uh that was such a really this episode well the serial i should say uh really uses voiceover really well like um i know the villain was voiceover like the machine was given a sentient sentient voice and i think that was pretty cool and also just like the doctor's inner conflicts just playing out uh join audio as the doctor's sleeping i think that's such a fantastic like production decision i think it's very forward thinking as a serial and like it, with concepts with its execution i just think it's a, a bit ahead of his time would you guys say yeah i mean because yeah, i mean it's really I, I like it a lot yeah because the um i was looking at the reception at the time on wikipedia and they were saying that um this story overall from the audience had uh, pretty negative results like feedback just because it was so complicated and i can understand like at the time that was probably really complicated but now we're used to complex storytelling that this is just every day for us i can definitely yeah i can definitely understand the viewpoint because it's not because like this episode lean or the story leans way more into kind of the fantasy mm. than the sci-fi that obviously we're so used to Doctor Who so I can, def- I can definitely see people being kind of like weirded out by the story because remember I was telling because my, my brother was asking me what like the plot of the episode was and then I told him basically and he thought it sounded just so strange and like he was like well what's, was it was it good like no yeah it was really good it was just um but like I think just like to definitely people um I can definitely see um, people thinking this is kind of too strange of a story, particularly maybe in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know Michael, the other co-host who isn't here today, um, he finds it a bit silly, the whole concept. And I think, like, yeah, fictional characters coming to life does sound a bit naff. But if we're going to link it to Torchwood now, Torchwood did an episode like exactly that. What's it called? From Out of the Rain? That episode, Joe? Um... I think it is, and that's a that's a pretty good episode as I well. Va- I vaguely know what we're talking about. Yeah, I think it's the one where they've got like the camera, and then um, as the like it's the circus people and the circus people. Oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Like that's a good episode, and like if you explain the concept to someone else for that episode, they'd think, oh, is that is, is that good? And then you think, yes, it's actually a good episode, and I just think like we have had that in the modern era of the show so surely going back to re-watching it you wouldn't find it so silly and you'd actually find it a bit of it quite charming because they did it so 
so early like they did this in the 60s with a 60s budget and like the set design is really great i i, I find like the castle the whole like cliff top like when jamie's like climbing up the cliff i just think the use of the sets was superb yeah like it, yeah. it definitely is very silly but i don't know i think it just kind of works like they, they, they managed to like justify like why there's so much fictional characters in a way that's interesting of you know of getting the kind of writer and kind of creating all this bringing all these characters to life so like they it is definitely silly but they do it in such an interesting way but yeah i do agree definitely on the sets there's so much kind of like like there's so much imagine there's so, there's so much imagination to the story that i just yeah really like the, the words the really massive words that they have to climb up and then yeah I, I, it's like wow yeah it's, it's just so interesting you know yeah i would have loved to see like a actual angle of the words like from a high angle as opposed to just seeing him yeah. read it but i still yeah, think it's it, a nice it, also the also the shot looks a little silly because it doesn't really look like it's an actual forest it just looks like a table of words but like um, yeah yeah but but definitely i do like the whole concept and there's a lot yeah just a lot of imagination going on yeah and uh, now if you want to go on to Psychast, I said the Gulliver was a fab character and undoubtedly gave us the most memorable and best lines from this serial. <laughs> you seem to be in an unha- unhappy state. It's definitely one I'll try to use in the future. <laughs> in the scenes where he was with Troughton, the chemistry between the two shined. And interestingly, oh. Bernard Horsfowl, I believe his name is, uh, who played the character, was also in the War Games as a Time Lord, Taron in Planet of the Daleks, and the Chancellor Goth, yeah. which is I think is really cool. Oh yeah, because I knew I knew I recognised him, but I couldn't place oh, some of what episodes he was in. Yeah, the war games. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a lot of great episodes. Yeah, and unfortunately, he died rather recently. Actually, it was twenty thirteen, so he actually lived quite long. He was like hmm. eighty seven, I believe. But yeah, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, I I really liked his character. I get why some people may say it was a bit one dimensional because he was just there just to deliver some, you know, uh, really weird lines. But it was still quite funny. It's kind of the point though, isn't it, that he's one dimensional because exactly. he's yeah a written character. He can't sort of break his barrier or yeah. whatever. And I think how we saw Zoe and Jamie like repeating the same thing over and over. The fact that he had. A chance to actually say some stuff like some different lines was actually a really good move and I really like the character I think take him out and you don't have many notable side characters except from the children which I actually placed under my villains category because they're so bloody annoying yeah I was, I was about to say I found I found the children characters kind of irritating there's also Rapunzel as well what do you think what do you think of Rapunzel she was fine yeah pretty funny <laughs> yeah but fine yeah. yeah like fine I wouldn't say she was good I think it was a bit of a waste of a character to be honest like we had some backstory to some of these characters but then Rapunzel was just there for the hair and then asking people if they're a prince and I think you could have done so much more with her character you know what do you yeah, think yeah. oh no, no, no I, I agree with that differently. yeah, yeah. Uh, that was literally my next note um, but my last point for Sidecast was the master of the land of fiction was a neat little character um, his name's Emerus Jones. I think he did quite a good job of performing the evilness, and at the end, old man quirks like, "Oh, we're going home." Ooh, ooh, ooh. I, I love that <laughs> little bit just because you know, um, yeah, that's fun to me. I, yeah, I really like the whole concept of kind of the villain, and obviously, interestingly, they refer to him as the master, obviously before, yeah. um, mm. but before the the character of the master was created. But like, um, but yeah, I think it's just an interesting, like, it's just an interesting concept, and yeah, I do like. 
Yeah. Did you ever get the vibe that it was like when I first watched it, I was so convinced that it was going to be the great intelligence? I do definitely know what you mean. There's definitely, it definitely has that kind of, yeah, definitely that kind of feel to him, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I was actually thinking, I was wondering if the master was actually inspired by this character because it does seem like a very master thing to do, like um, trap someone and be in control of the whole proceedings, and which is what this character was. So I think, was the master inspired by this character? I would be surprised if he wasn't, to be honest with you. In uh, some, in some I don't know. I can definitely see it. Yeah. But yeah, I have no idea if that's actually the case. Like, he reminds me a lot of... Um, Derek Jacobi from Utopia, like mm-hmm. his general persona, like yeah. he's very flamboyant, but then he can also just flip to evil very, very easy. And of course, the resemblance, they do look very similar. But yeah, mm-hmm. I love the whole concept of the master. Um, but towards the end in part five, uh, like the doctor becoming the new master is an interesting concept, but it never really materializes into anything. It's just, I refuse. You have no other alternative for two episodes, which I think I could have just went without, you know? Like, the entirety of part five is a bit silly, but I still love it. Yeah, it's just like, they're, they're, they're just thinking of random things, like creates Sion to on the Bergerac, and the Three Musketeers just pops up. Like, it gets a little bit kind of like, yeah, I get the yeah. sense that like, oh yeah, because like, because because it's like based so much in like fantasy and just strangeness that like there's not really kind of like clear rules set on what you can and can't do so it's kind of just like it just I, I get the sense that the writer just kind of made just things up just the climax yeah, sure and the they were doing it it felt like a, then, yeah. you know, like a kid was writing it in in a good way you know like mm-hmm. it was just like oh there's Blackbeard and Sir Lancelot and, and they just fight and yeah it was silly but fun you know I don't yeah it was fine Fun. Yeah. yeah again it's like 60s who like if you think about the worst productions on of classic who you have like um in the arc in space you have bubble wrap and this was like <laughs> in the 70s uh, the bubble around the hands being like some infection and i just think okay there's that but then when you go back 10 years you have such a thrilling story uh, with some fantastic like side catch like you have a horse and you have a unicorn well a horse with a unicorn like a horn on of course but then you've got mm. all these side characters just coming out of nowhere and you've got some really cool direction like I think the direction in this story was fantastic and I kind of disagree with your point about the trees like yes the trees were a bit comical near the start but then there was a wide shot and then you could uh, it, it really looked like a wooden tree and I thought that was really impressive but it's just like to the point that the set design is fantastic and I think they really outdid themselves for the time as well and some of it really holds up mm, yeah definitely I think it, I think it like it just the majority of the effects do look good because there's something so like the, uh, when you look at 60s sort of Doctor Who there's something that's so theatrical about the whole thing like it feels like it could kind of be a, yeah. a stage play almost a lot of the time but like, um, mm. yeah. yeah and there's that as well but like um, I don't, yeah just there is just a lot of kind of particularly in this story there's just a lot of theatricality theatricality to the whole thing mm. and that I think works to yeah and i think the side cast oh the side cast was superb uh like the i really like the moment where um the false face jamie disappears and then zoe runs towards him there's a bit of smoke and then it's revealed that it's the cardboard cutout again i don't know if you guys can recall that scene but i just think that was fantastic it was another great moment and i do like the use of smoke because they use smoke in the end of part one uh before it transitioned into the credits it was like like in a magic show you use smoke to create an illusion and it was like 
it it was very disorientating as a viewer like the whole and it was meant to be you know like patrick trout sitting on the chair he's disorientated and also the is it the void is that what it's called the void where it's just the blackness yeah 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 it's, it's meant to disorientate the creatures are meant to be a bit weird and wacky and it's like uh the the smoke just really adds to that i think yeah, yeah, no, sure. Definitely, definitely, an atmosphere, definitely yeah. Yeah, it, it did create a great atmosphere. Um, but yeah, I yeah, I find a lot about Sixty Talk Two like that has a lot of, you know, the black and white kind of gives it like a lot of atmosphere a lot of the time. Yeah, like, it kind of makes, something about the black and white and like the atmosphere like, makes a lot of kind of uh, who a lot creepier to me. Like mm. I, I, find, I do find that a lot of time. I mean, this story is not like either that much on the creep factor, but they're definitely like the tour soldiers and all that do definitely kind of like they're I think effective the yeah. Black and, yeah the black and white does work with them yeah and I think one of you mentioned it earlier it reminded me a lot of um, closing not closing time that that's a dreadful episode um, <laughs> uh, Night Terrors which was like yeah. coined to be one of the most scary Doctor Who episodes of all time uh, like according to Stephen Moffat at the time I believe he said and of course Night Terrors isn't the scariest episode of all time but um I think both of the episodes really work in terms of a minimal kind of villain. Like the villains aren't meant to be uh, like the next Daleks, but it's just like very conserved, conservative. And I think that really works in just the scary factor. Less is more, less is more. Yeah, the situation is what is really interesting here. Sort of, you know, like what the hell is happening, the mystery. Yeah, and the villains are just, they're all right. But, you know, like I mean, it's the mystery that really is the best thing here yeah there's, there, there's just so much tension and really what's going on particularly earlier on like yeah. yeah and I really like the moment where Jamie realises that um, the creature is saying through this thing in his chest and something and then it just chucks over his jacket I like I really like that moment from Jamie like he deducts mm. something and then he puts that deduction into play and yes the villain literally just shakes it off 10 seconds later okay. but I still think it was a really nice moment even if it only lasted 10 seconds. Mm. But yeah. yeah. But Jamie, Jamie is smarter than uh, I think. He gets smarter, I think, as he goes along, right? I mean, that's he has a... I wouldn't say... I wouldn't go as far as to say he has an art of getting smarter. But he, he learns. He's very, like, accepting to learn. Like, especially from, like, Zoe and stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you're like, him, right, the second, yeah. him and the second Doctor have such a good dynamic because, like... Because Jamie's obviously a lot... Obviously, no one smart as the Doctor, but he's a lot more physical... Mm. And all that. so the two obviously the second second doctor in particular isn't really that kind of actiony and like it's going to be on someone like Pertwee, but like um so yeah they, I think they just work so well together like sort of the doctors the brains and Jamie's sort of more more of the muscle. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And then um just because I think Jamie is is probably my favorite uh, classic Who companion. I'd say I think he competes with Sarah Jane Smith and Joe Grant as being my absolute favorites. Maybe even Ace. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Ace. She she's my favorite. Yeah, yeah Ace. Uh, Ace is the best. Fair enough. But yeah, Jamie McCrimmon's chemistry with um the doctor was superb and i think just not in this not just in this episode but tomb of cybermen and other stories it's just like you can definitely see they liked each other on on set like yeah, just watching these episodes back it's because isn't that power of the daleks are the only trans story without jamie it's like it's mm. pretty much yeah, yeah. they've just always been together really and you can't really imagine 
second doctor yeah, without jamie they remind me of like shaggy and scooby-doo or something like that you know <laughs> Inseparable. Like when they like, each other they're like ah, you know they grab each other and uh, i love that <laughs> yeah and i think i love the best kind of like doctor and companions i like that like some doctor and ace for example or the tenth doctor and donna where you get the sense kind of like them being there makes each other better like yeah i, I can't yeah second doctor like as has has he needs jamie because that makes him is so much better and I think it is a testament to the actor as well because of course the actors in Classic Who tended to leave after like one or two years like companions I'm saying now and the fact that Jamie stayed for a good three years across all of uh, Trowin's series is just a testament to how good he was because if you just watch the, the all the surviving episodes you seem to have like a new companion every other episode just because there's so much missing but then whenever you chuck some Trowin on Jamie is always a recurring factor and you think oh crap yeah and then you watch the episode and then you think I can see why because he just has a really strong screen presence and I think that's a testament to Heinz and, and again it's a positive to the actor who uh, stood in for him in episode 2 and a part of episode 3 like that those are some massive shoes to fill but he did a really solid job and I think yes it's only the face that's a bit different it was meant to be different in the story but he kind of makes the role his own kind of he gives his own, own interpretation whilst also still maintaining um, the real characteristics of the real Jamie and I think the actor in question did a fantastic job and I think I love the character. I could rave on about him all day. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I absolutely love Jamie. Yeah. Uh, my next note was about the special effects, and it's actually my final note. I, I undercooked the notes today. Uh, but yeah, the special effects of the snakes on Medusa's head uh, hold up re uh, really well. Obviously, no masterpiece, but it's not laughable like some other classic who is. Mm. But a scene I don't like or like a little bit from the scene I don't like is Zoe saying I've got to see like that's really weird dialogue you know you would die if you looked so why are yeah, you claiming that you have to see what yeah. it is I think that's a problem a lot like in this I do have with this story like it's in the, at the end of the second episode with like the unicorn the doctor establishes that like none of these things are real and if you believe they're not real then they can't know you but like so it kind of feels a bit strange why Zoe like wouldn't believe that with the with Medusa and like the Minotaur and then the Doctor doesn't believe it when it comes to like the carcass it just feels like well they, they all know that none of these characters are real and if they just believe that then they can't hurt them so it kind of just feels a bit kind of a strange inconsistency yeah like the Doctor not believing in the carcass is really strange to me yeah like after he's just been proclaiming that Medusa's not real and that stuff like real and I think yeah. come on you can do better because the point is was like oh he never heard of this character before so he doesn't know but like if Zoe is saying that oh he's a comic character from the year 2000 like it, it's just kind of it's quite frustrating yeah, yeah. Like, stuff, so that keeps coming up as well like it gets old really quickly yeah I mean the, the cliffhanger like the first one is the unicorn and then they resolve it you know quite quickly they're like oh yeah and then it just happens again with Medusa and then it's like it's like, come on, you know, think of something better, you know? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, this is just, like, Clash of the Who, and it's kind of like forced cliffhangers, really, because just, yeah. like, that scene with Medusa was probably just there for the cliffhanger. Yeah. Definitely. And even then, like, Medusa added absolutely nothing because you could have had some special effects of, like, the stakes going across the floor or something like that. But as, instead, you just have, like, a grey hand going up towards Zoe's face, and that's it. And I think, oh, come on. Mm -hmm. Come on. 
like if you made the effort to make the the snakes animated at least actually do something with them like um i think it's the magician's apprentice or the witch's familiar where that creature can like release snakes and it goes across the floor and that's really effective horror for me because i bloody hate snakes so like to have <laughs> something like that in classicu would have been superb and i wish they i wish they had thought about that or maybe they had but they just didn't execute which i think was a, a bit of a mistake as opposed to just having a great hand Ooh. but yeah um i'm actually looking at the audience reception now and uh, just a just under a third actually reacted favorably and um okay. yeah and then i i'd pro- personally just say just under a third would be it's, it's ridiculous because how can you how how can you watch this story and think this is bad like yes be confused but at least try to pick up some of the themes he's trying to go with yeah is this reactions from the time this is reaction from the time yeah yeah i can understand yeah, like kind of yeah so it's what we were saying like it's just such a strange story that we can understand maybe people didn't quite expect it yeah yeah and i think well it's saying here um one of michael's um criticisms or kind of just points that he made to me privately and it's kind of echoed with the audience reaction um people like disliked the, um the more fantasy oriented story rather than the more dignified science fiction so it's more of a case of they, they've tried something new and at the time at least it didn't really work for some people and they just want like robots and space and stuff like that then you have robots you have like sci-fi villains in this and i think yes they're not the best but you still got some you know sci-fi elements you've got the creature at the end not the creature you've just got the big hive mind computer at the end with the really creepy voice with the plot to take over earth like that's mm. a really good plot and you've got some yeah. really interesting concepts around it how can you be not not confused i can understand why you're a bit confused i was a bit confused at times like what's going on but still like how can you like brush this off as not science fiction it is science fiction at least for me yeah, well, yeah. They, they say that you know they're in a whole another like universe or something like that yeah yeah and like nothing is impossible and it's just very experimental you know like, I, I love when doctor who goes experimental um and that's quite rare for the classic series to do that isn't it yeah yeah, yeah usually yeah. you know on the siege or yeah. something like that because like, uh, obviously the story before this the dominators is like just your most standard generic kind oh, of doctor yeah, story that. so it's just like it's just nice to get something like this which is so weird but like as yeah. we would keep saying like if it was like something that we would get in like the matt smith era like series five series six kind of i can definitely i can really imagine this like um because obviously like it's stuff like the pandora mm. opens with the tardis exploding kind of feels like it's like a like it's harking back to this yeah. that's why i said it was like really forward thinking because there are so many stories we've alluded to today where it's kind of like you can see if it was inspired by this story like this story is probably inspires several um, modern hero episodes and you just think or at least they resemble it so i just think that's really impressive that they could do that like some people say the web planet the web planet is a dreadful episode in my opinion but some people will like praise it for being having some concepts that are revisited yeah. but then i just watch and i think what concepts but in this episode it just it's like a sore thumb you can see the concepts from a mile away i think i always appreciate it with classic doctor who because obviously they don't have the best budget in the world i always appreciate mm. when they just kind of like have that and like oh we'll do it anyway we have these kind of crazy concepts mm. and we don't have the 
most money or the best kind of effects but we're going to do it anyway because it's a good story and a good concept and uh, that's something i always appreciate about past doctor who particularly in stories like this yeah yeah the mind robber it stands out i think in like classic doctor who as sort of like being very different to all the other ones like there's nothing else quite like it i i mean i can't think of everything and you know whether or not you like it you know it, it does stand out and i you know I'd rather more episodes like this than sort of, you know, just generic, like, rubbish, like, you know, would come later. I mean, they went, repetitive. they went back to the bug-eyed monster concept within a whole, within a series of the Sydney Newman saying no bug-eyed monsters. So it's like, it, it just falls back on a lot of uh, sci-fi tropes a lot of the time. So the fact that they did something different, uh, was, yeah. it was superb. And I think execution-wise, it absolutely paid off because as an episode, if you watched it on its own, and the serial on its own, even each episode as a standalone episode, they just work on its own. Like you could literally just chuck uh, part four on without the context of the first three parts and you think, oh crap, this is actually quite nice to follow along with and it's, it gets you thinking. Yeah. Episode one in particular is just like, that is that bit was kind of like so like isolated from the rest of the story because it's just so different. Mm. But like, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. It reminds me a lot of The Edge of Destruction, the first Doctor serial. You, you know what? When I was watching the first part of The Mind Robot, I was thinking of The Edge of Destruction. And I, like, I, I personally do actually quite enjoy that story. And because mm. um, I'm just like, I was it's just right. in the top. Yeah, I, I, I do quite like it because I just like in the story, it's just in the TARDIS and it's very kind of contained. Yeah. And, and there's just mm. a lot of tension. To me, there's a lot of tension to that. Yeah. Some of the best stories are like that, you know, like like Midnight. I like Midnight so much, and you know, when you have restrictions and or like you, you're like, okay, let's, you know, to a lesser extent, the journey to the center of the TARDIS. Like, I I don't like that one at all, mm. but the the concept for that is amazing, you know. And like in the invasion of time, when they go into the TARDIS, you know, mm. they don't they don't do that. And they don't, yeah, they don't realize it well, don't they? When they're in invasion of time, yeah, I oh, can't believe Moffat like watched the invasion of time and thought I can do better than this. Then produce journey to the center of the TARDIS. That's embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah, it, it did remind me of the Edge of Destruction, and um, I think this is better than the Edge of Destruction in terms of part one. Yes, that's the part most like the edge of destruction but i would still say despite it not being the best part of this serial in my opinion i know you would disagree guys but <laughs> it is definitely superior still over the edge of destruction which i think is again all right mediocre so i think anything above a five hour ten for part one would make it better and i think trollton i've i've been re-watching classic who recently and i've got to say a bit quite controversially I kind of like um, William Hartnell more than Troutman I, I, I don't know yeah, yeah, what you guys think interesting. but I, to me Hartnell has fantastic fantastic screen presence and makes every scene he's in his own even if he like fumbles it across some of his lines but he, I think he may just be the old man shouting like <laughs> that just that makes me you know, think, okay, yeah, he's showing he's in control of this room. Whereas with Troughton, 
it's more of a case of he's in the background, but then when he's going into the action, he's fantastic. So they're oh, very yeah. different in that. Harnell, Harnell definitely has a screen presence because I remember, like, it took me when I was. It took me so long to get around to watching a Hartnell episode because I always mm. assumed I, I was going to find him like the boring one. But like, I remember when I when I, was, when I gave him a chance, I, I, I really yeah. take, take it to him. Like he's he's not my favorite kind of doctor, and I do prefer Trout. But like, yeah, I, I do love Hartnell's kind of like. The, the authority that it has because when you say like Trout and someone who's more in the background to me that's my issue with some doctors like Peter Davison or yeah. Jodie Whittaker it's just kind of like you're just kind of like too kind of normal for me where you kind of feel like you kind of blend in the background when I prefer the kind of doctors to be like to stand out be like the most important or feel like he's the most important one in the room yeah it's like when you mentioned Baker there it's like in the witch finders where the focus for a solid 10 minutes is just on the companions and the side cast having a chat but then now I know where the doctor is just comes in and like oh I'm here and I just think oh wow you've actually made yourself known it's, it's as if the writers like just know they've done some disservice to the doctor so like oh here we go here's the doctor again so I can definitely understand that just because I think the writers um do a discredit to her and Davidson in what do you call it the five doctors I think yes. Davidson is so wasted yeah. like all of them are in the death zone and then he's just in the the place with the time lords and I just think what a waste I find that with Peter Davidson just throughout his era really just kind of like oh you, you, you could have been like he's just kind of underused until you get to the case of Anjazani where he just kind of explodes and I'm just like well where's where was this the entire of your era and like oh now now you're finally getting it you're yeah. gone and there's such to me that's one of my biggest kind of frustrations in like all of Doctor Who is kind of Peter Davison for me as soon as he becomes really comfortable with the role he's gone yeah and like mm. yeah which is a shame um yeah I completely agree and I think with uh, with Trowan, I think he's such a fantastic actor. Like, Arnold literally chose Trowan to be his replacement. And I do think Trowan's still my top three uh, classic Who Doctors, along with um, two, uh, like two alongside with three and four. Those would be my top three. So um, it's really weird because it's kind of the symmetry. Like, in classic Who, my favorite Doctors are two, three, and four. And then in Modern Who, my favourite Doctors are 10, 11 and 12. So it's like, you forget the first Doctor in each era, and you forget the others, <laughs> and you just think those three. And I think it, it peaked too early, I think. Um, what do you think about uh, McCoy? Because McCoy is very similar to Troughton. Yeah, McCoy is like, one of my favourite yeah. Doctors. Yeah. But yeah. McCoy has more screen presence than Troughton, I'll, I'll give him that. Ooh. In in terms of Troughton, uh, is fine like in the background he he has no issue with that but then Trout, um mccoy is always always seems to be front and center but has the same characteristics as the second doctor if that makes sense so yes they're very similar doctors but i think sylvester mccoy gets himself out there even if he doesn't have so much dialogue as others i, I do yeah, like if, him yeah but if you think about it like yeah with Troughton, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for him if it and his performance working so well we wouldn't we wouldn't have Doctor Who past the sixties. Yeah. yeah. So there's just a lot there's a lot to owe kind of the Hartnell as well definitely, but there's just so much to owe to Troutman for like just kicking off like for all like just but because if he didn't work, Doctor Who wouldn't have lasted anywhere near as long as it did. No. Definitely. Mm. Um so yeah, I did put out a tweet yesterday just saying thoughts on the mind of rubber. Like we make a point of not revealing what the episode we're going to be uh, reviewing for the next week on the podcast until we actually release the episode but 
you know, I, I'm impatient and I just tweeted it. Uh, so I did get quite a few responses. And um, I just had thoughts on the mind robbers. And Michael said, I'm thinking, bear with me, that it involves a robber of mines. And I thought, why? <laughs> and I just put a oh, reaction. Not He's not wrong. Um, but yeah, there were some other replies. Thomas Hines said a great and fun trout and story. There are some scenes that creep me out a little. I love it. 10 out of 10. Most of these are like 10 out of 10s. This is crazy. Uh, WM said 10 out of 10. Love a batshit crazy and creative story. Uh, Fenric fan said 10 out of 10. Probably the most batshit story. Again, the same terminology of at least the classic series and I utterly love it. Uh, Joel Patterson said 10 out of 10. One of my favourites. Pure bonkers brilliance. <laughs> a lot of 10 out of 10s. Well, I, I wasn't expecting that. No, ne ne neither was I. Mr. Dr. Gil, like it's a it's a really great story, but I'm I'm still I still think there's like one or two little things that kind of just decrease my score a little bit mm. because it's no, yeah, not definitely. perfect. Definitely, like um, like it's 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 a great story, the one I really enjoy. But I I put I personally wouldn't say it's up there in terms of trout best the best trout stories. Like I wouldn't put it no. with like Team of the Cybermen or End of the World or stories like that. Yeah, yeah, war games. Just yeah. above average for me, I think. Ooh. Yeah. Troughton, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, he's good in it, but yeah, I don't know. Troughton's got so many great ones that just compared to this, not, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't stand close. Yeah. Um, and again, back to the point about um, who I prefer, McCoy or Troughton. It would definitely be Troughton any day of the week just because Troughton's got so many great stories compared to McCoy. Yes, I like McCoy, but Troughton's got so many fantastic yeah. so stories. Like, I was thinking back just a few days ago, and I realized the 10th Doctor, like, 11th Doctor is my favorite Doctor. I don't know if you guys knew, but he is. But I, looking yeah, back okay. at it, I just think the 10th Doctor has so many great stories compared to um, the first half of the Moffat era with Smith, and I just think, like... That just shows the capability of Smith in terms of leaving that presence, leaving his presence be known, even if his stories weren't great, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, had I mean, the same that... amount of episodes, but he still had the better ones. The, like, the, yeah, like, like with the Capaldi, classics. I think Capaldi is great, but his episodes are usually, like, he I honest, think, yeah. not very great. But there's a, there's a very few great ones with Capaldi, but he's always great. He's always great. Just yeah. the stories that end down. Whereas like yeah. some of the other doctors, it's the opposite, you know? Mm. Like Davidson or Baker or something like that. Absolutely. Like in those cases the story complements the actor more times than not. Yeah. But yeah. Um Mr. Doctor Gilmore said favourite classic whose story in combat with the series ten, like I am guessing that's season ten finale, as my all time actually no. No 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 no. Uh, I misinterpreted that. So he says, or she says, or whoever. Uh, favorite classic who story in combat with the S10 finale as my all-time favorite. So that must mean modern who series 10 finale. Yeah, I yeah, think that's what it means. Yeah, yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's both two very good stories there. I personally say the latter is better, like the series 10 finale. That's just superb. Yeah. Yeah. Both both great. I mean. Uh, hashtag lock Trump up, aka Paul Morris, uh, said one of the best. Simple as that. 
uh, whose station said a tad overrated, but good nonetheless. Would you guys agree with that sentiment? Is it good? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I think it's very good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And then the Celestial Toy Gazer says, overrated mess. And then I, oh, okay. <laughs> I did ask uh, any specific moments you take issue with. And then they said, when the doctor is tricked into the fake TARDIS, like he knows Jamie and Zoe are hypnotized and can't be trusted, and yet all of a sudden he completely disregards this. That's interesting. I, yeah, I, I don't know what he means though. I found that I found that story. I found that part a little bit kind of silly. Mm, I, I liked it personally, and I do agree with the point that I don't know why he trusts them so easily. But then again, in that scene, they were portraying their characters as not hypnotized if if you know what i mean like yeah. when they're hypnotized they're very one-dimensional but then all of a sudden they're not one-dimensional so i guess that's like a writing or directing kind of um mistake kind of there but i still yeah. do think it works for me personally yeah it just like it just how the doctor would just completely put all his trust in them and yeah. all that. like when he, particularly when he knows the tardis has blown up yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's not it's not a huge knock against the story, but like I do know what we mean to do. I did I did think that. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, that wraps up the the audience interaction part of this episode. Uh, do you guys have conclusions and a score out of ten? And who, who would like to go first, George? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The mind, Robert. The, the more I think about it, the more my opinion changes on it. You know. Mm. It's, it's a tough one because like on one hand like the first episode for me is a 10 out of 10 without a doubt love it great it's the others are good like really good um but they do gradually get worse for me i think because the conclusion and the sort of uh it just doesn't satisfy me you know because they set up so many like interesting things like them being lured out into like this unknown world you know like they all be their homes and stuff but then that never gets brought up ever again. They never get lured at anywhere else, and it's like oh, and and it's just like oh, it's a writer making up this sort of amazing world, and, and it's like oh, that's good, but you know, it's not really what I want. What, what I wanted mm-hmm. from the story, so it let me down a bit. But yeah, Troughton, Jamie, everyone, great. So I would say it's uh, above average, but yeah, I don't know. I'd probably give it out of ten, probably. A, mm, a 7.5 7.5 okay that, that's higher than expected yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> the way you were hyped George is always very harsh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm very harsh when it comes to things I like for some reason I don't know why yeah uh, I'm going to scrap that actually just do a 7 7 out of 10 just yeah. a 7 oh, oh I shouldn't have said no. that <laughs> yeah. fair enough fair enough uh, Joe well I, I, I feel a bit more positive on the story overall like yeah I do agree that the first part is the best part but like there's how much I just really like that first part there's just so much kind of tension and mystery to the whole thing and it's unique kind of stands out and once we do get into the rest of the story it's still good but just in my opinion nothing kind of tops that really great first part but yeah it's entertaining throughout it's engaging like the tireless team itself are great as always even if even zoe's annoying screaming but like um <laughs> but yeah just so much imagination and kind of creativity throughout the whole thing and yeah some moments stand out as kind of like sillier some moments don't really work but i think overall it is a very enjoyable story which i do 
which I, I do show I did have a great time rewatching. I, I, I would give it an eight out of ten personally. Eight out of ten. Okay, I guess I'm going to be the most positive um, score for this episode at least. Um, again, this is feels like a very much like a Moffat type story, which is probably why I do enjoy it so much. It's got a complex themes that I could watch any time of day, and for the most part, it does lead to some really gripping television that never left me bored once. Um, I think that may be to do with the shortened runtime, like Classic Who can drag a tiny bit if it's got several parts, but this one definitely didn't drag. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Mm. Yeah. It was really well paced, well executed, and well told. Uh, three of the five parts would be an easy 10 out of 10 for me, whereas the other two would be given a 5.5 and a 7. Um, so that kind of averages to a five, um, a five point eight, no, an eight point five out of ten overall, yeah. which is my yeah. final. See, score. like, I suppose for you, because like maybe the highest out of three of us, because for you the story gets kind of better as it goes along, but for us it gets a little weaker as yeah. it goes along. Yeah, that's interesting. I maybe yeah. I do have to give the first part yeah. a go. It's just because. The, again the first part sets a lot of stuff up but then the rest of it kind of builds or like actually makes this concept realized if that makes sense just like okay you've set it up and now we're actually going to explore it and i think it explored it really well and that's what i want to have from a story more than just set yeah. up but mm-hmm. yeah maybe that's just me but um yeah the first part was still serviceable i i still did like it none of the parts would fall on the mediocre to bad range for me all of them are at least solid so yeah definitely yeah i agree with that yeah no i'll yeah. yeah uh so for the next episode is going to be michael andy and phil uh who's going to be our guest next week and so we have to do something before we do wrap this up we have to spin the wheel uh so i'm going to quickly spin the wheel with the episodes that are on the wheel for this week and it's spinning it's spinning it's spinning Ooh, speaking of um, McCoy, it's a McCoy episode. It is The Curse of Fenric. What an episode, oh. guys. Oh, yeah, I love that one. That's oh, top 10, top 5, yeah. Great. Yeah. No pressure on giving a high rating, guys, if you are listening to this before you record. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, that's for next week. Guys, thank you so much. You've been superb. Thanks, uh, George, for taking the day off work to do this, which I... Which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At no least now you've got yeah. the afternoon just to chill and do whatever you need to do, you know? Yeah, I might watch some, some more Doctor Who. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I have to watch Batman and Robin uh, for another podcast. Which oh, is super <laughs> I'm lucky you. Yeah, I've got to do that this afternoon on my day off, so for God's sake. Uh, but yeah, Joe as well, super. Yeah. Thank you Thank you so have, much. Thank you for having me. It was your choice in episode, wasn't it? It was, it was on yeah, your yeah. list of five. It was on mine, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really glad you chose it, even though yeah, I would have loved to do Countryside as well, but I think this was... a. Uh, great substitute so yeah if you guys ever want to come on again you're more than welcome um for the next oh, yeah, episodes. Welcome, yeah. yeah be happy to yeah but yeah thank you guys for coming on and thank you all of you for listening uh until next time peace out goodbye bye bye <laughs>